Hello, this is Gary Sheffer, and I'm here with Mike Fernandez, and welcome back to the spring, I guess, edition of The Crux, Mike. Yeah, I'm excited. So we wanted to start out here before we have our great guest, and this is a really smart person, that in our spring season, we're going to a little bit of a new format. Just as the world's changing, we're changing. We're changing. This is based on extensive and very expensive listener feedback, Mike, that you know, a survey of thousands. No, no, it's based on some feedback on the crux, which is that people love our guests. You know, Mike and I have been around a while. We're old and we have a pretty good network and we get really good guests on the crux and as evidenced by the conversation you're about to hear. And so we're going to let them shine. Exactly. So we used to do, as some of the listeners know, a news section up front, and we're going to head right into the guest discussions for the, the new crux. Mike, the new, I, I'm going to have to get new merch or something, you know, some new t-shirts and <laughs> new and improved, talk, new and improved. So let's listen to a conversation with Maureen Davenport from KPNG and welcome back to the crux for spring 22 season. Welcome to The Crux. Each week, two of the world's top communicators take you behind the scenes of the news of the day to explore the crux of communications that are shaping business, politics, and our daily lives. Hi, this is Gary Sheffer. And hi, I'm Mike Fernandez, and we're glad to be with you from Boston University. Welcome to The Crux. I'm Mike Fernandez, and I'm here with my colleague, Gary Sheffer. How are you doing, Gary? Good, Mike. Nice to see you virtually again. Great. Great to see you as well. Today, we are going to speak with the U.S. Chief Communications Officer for one of the world's leading professional services firms, KPMG, Maureen Davenport. We're going to talk with her about transitions, change, and what's important to organizations as we begin to look beyond the pandemic. In March 2020, KPMG selected a new U.S. chair and CEO just as the world entered lockdown. Paul Knopp knew at the outset that leading in the pandemic might require a recommitment to values and purpose, investment in people, and a close working relationship with his CCO and communications team. Maureen Davenport joined KPMG herself in 2019 after an eight-year stint at Fannie Mae, where she also served as CCO and helped drive its reputation and business performance. Prior to joining Fannie Mae, Davenport served as Senior Vice President for Communications and Marketing at the National Association of Manufacturers. Before that, she led Hill & Knowlton's U.S. technology practice. She also worked for two other agencies, and Otis, and Ketchum, where she started her career. Maureen, welcome to the Crux. Thank you, Mike. It's so great to be here and good to see you and Gary. I am really thrilled to be here. I love this podcast, so I'm honored to be a guest. Well, thank you for being with us. So Maureen, within a year of joining KPMG, you're faced with this crazy challenge of helping with an executive transition, helping your company KPMG and its new chair and CEO navigate this crazy world with the pandemic sinking in all around us. Tell us what that was like 
what elements you took into consideration at the time and what stakeholders really mattered most and why? I'd be happy to. It, it was a, an incredibly interesting experience that I think kind of made us all reevaluate who are your primary stakeholders? What do we need to do? How do we manage and navigate through a crisis? And of course, I'd done CEO transitions before and as many of us do, had a great playbook. And I actually thought Paul and I and our deputy chair Laura Nowinski. We had a great plan to really be out in the market. Just a little bit of background. The way we transition is we have five-year terms for our chair and our CEO. And so Paul has been with the firm for over 30 years, has been a partner at the firm for over 20 years, but had led teams of client engagement teams. I think his kind of 300 people, not 36,000 people, was known to be the partner you sent to the most complex clients because he was able to really lead with purpose and motivate the teams and inspire confidence in our clients. So it was clearly the right choice at the right moment. We announced him in February to our partnership. And then as we thought about that transition, we really wanted to be in the market, walking the halls, making sure that people really got to know and see Paul to inspire that confidence. So as you can imagine, he sort of officially took over July as we went, go into lockdown. We have to reevaluate everything. And I remember from the very beginning, our conversations were all around kind of what are the three pillars of how he will lead, how this pandemic is going to shape his leadership and his legacy. And we really leaned into listening empathy and transparency and making sure that as a leader, he was showing up authentically, even though it was virtual and that we transitioned and really helped people understand, you know, the facts as we knew them and the decisions that we were making and that we, you know, frankly over communicated. So the transition went from inspiring confidence through that in-person connection to a complete pivot for everyone in a world of a lockdown to say, okay, now how are we going to inspire our people? How are we going to navigate just incredible uncertainty? And at the same time, Paul's commitment to and leaning into our values, which is literally to this day, everything we do, every action we take is through the lens of our values and our purpose. And we're doing right by our stakeholders. And I think our people were always, or I know our people were always a, an important stakeholder along with our clients and our communities. What really came to light in the pandemic and in the crisis was that we prioritized through words and actions, our people, and that was the safety, health, and well-being of our people. And so that everything we've done since has really been through that lens and with our values in mind. It was an intense time, but I, but I have to say incredibly fortunate that the clarity of our leadership team in prioritizing our people and prioritizing kind of our decision-making based on how do we take care of our people during this incredibly uncertain time. And of course, ensure that the stability of the business and how we serve our clients and communities really benefited from that focus on our people. I, I was really impressed. I, I had a chance to see you and, and Paul talk about the transition at a page meeting back in the fall. But I would imagine it was incredibly hard. You're dealing with a business that's essentially a consultancy. And so much of that through the years had been done in person with these people going out and some of them actually camping out where your customers reside. What changes or how did you look at that differently in the midst of the pandemic? Yeah, so I think a couple of things. One is that everyone was going through it. So rather than in the lockdown, and look, for our business, not 
kind of being at the client site, being in person, mentoring our people in person, our culture is all people. It's what we have is our people. And that, and so our talent strategy is incredibly important and connected to our business strategy. And so our inability to kind of be in person, that was a shift for us, but actually our leadership was so clear in terms of everyone's in lockdown, right? Everyone is facing this new world and learning to work, you know, remotely work from home and the implications are significant. So it humanized in many ways, our relationships and our people, I think were even more engaged with our clients, helping them through the transition with digital, with, you know, how do you go through a period of audits, busy season, not in person, right? That was a completely Mm -hmm. new way of working, but leaning into it and, and focusing on quality and taking care of people. And frankly, leading with empathy, which, which gets lost so often in leadership and in business, but we are all humans. And so really showing up as an empathetic human leader and Paul share at that meeting, you're talking about Paul shared a story about, you know, as he put himself in the shoes of you know, some of our colleagues and some of our employees who maybe have, you know, young kids who maybe have elder relatives who they are worried about in the early stages of the pandemic. And he thought back to, you know, his reality when he had three young kids at home and he and his wife trying, if they had been trying to work from home on camera, the impact that that has on your mental health, your physical health, your ability. And so we really tried to alleviate some of those pressures through the leadership, but also, you know, connect even more, even though virtually even more with our clients and even more in a human way and lead with empathy. And by lead with empathy, I mean, not only in terms of traditional hierarchical leadership, but actually lead with empathy in conversations in outreach and interactions and really leaning into, as I said, our values and one of the things that's so important to us as a firm is that we don't just talk about values and then leave them sort of on a wall. We, as I said, we intentionally and explicitly make decisions based on our values and our culture and the culture that we want to enhance, maintain, preserve, and advance. And so that's been a really important part of what we've done. But certainly in those early days, not easy to think about wait, we're not going to be in person. How is that going to happen? (laughs) Right. So I think we almost couldn't imagine it, but then we were forced to live it and found that our ability to deliver just incredible quality and actually come together even more as a team was, was really remarkable. Another thing I'll say is, and I, and I shared just before earlier this morning that you know, we are going to flex with purpose. We are not going to require our people to come back into the office or be at a, a client site five days a week. We're going to continue listening to our people and we're going to make sure that we're working where we are most effective. And that's probably going to be a mix of together with purpose at our cultural home, which is called Lake House. And then, you know, heads down time, heads down work potentially remotely, whether that's at home or or in an office, but that when we gather, we're going to do it with intention and with purpose. And we're going to keep listening to our team and our people to make sure that we're designing a system that really works for our culture versus trying to decide what it is and then kind of mandate it. Well, Maureen, welcome uh, to the Crux and and so good to talk to you again. I, I just want to follow up on something you said about that we're all human. You know, in my time was working with business executives. I would say most of them are human, right? There's a few, (laughs) I'm not so sure, but you know. So anyway, listen, I wanna go 
off topic what we've been following, which is really a thread around values and people, and ask you a question I've always wanted to ask of consultancies. You know, I come from a company, I worked at a company a long time where telling stories was easy. I mean, it's easy to tell a story about a jet engine or, you know, a gigantic wind turbine, that kind of thing, and the R&D and all that kind of thing. But I always wanted to know, for consultancies like yours, how do you find the stories within KPMG, for example, around accounting and, you know, advisory services to make them interesting and compelling? And I don't mean that in any demeaning way. It's just a different kind of storytelling, right? And so how do you do that? Yeah, I mean, I think we focus on insights a ton at KPMG and, and our ability to provide insights and to develop insights and to, to bring those forward. And so those stories are human stories. Maybe maybe not all, all executives and leaders are show their human <laughs> side, but, but they are stories of people who are empowered to make change and to advance our agenda and our society and our communities and who are working with purpose to serve a really important purpose. And, and I think it's easy to sort of say, well, accountants or you know advisors or consultants or digital transformation or tax, but all of those areas and subject matter expertise are incredibly important to the person who's receiving that, that counsel and that advice and that exactly. work and that effort. And so how do we tell the stories of the impact that those small actions have? And that's where we focus. We focus on the micro to really tell the macro impact story of one person with an insight that delivers incredible value. And how do we mm -hmm. kind of capture that value and share it and inspire our people in the work that we're doing and inspire confidence in our clients and in the markets. Yeah. I mean, it's always been essential, of course, what the services you provide. It's enabling, right? It enables every outcome of every business everywhere that you have to do this right. You have to do it well. We're, we're providing confidence, right? And, and right. look, Trust. As, as a, exactly. <laughs> how do we, how do we sort of build that trust. And I think that trust equation is even more complicated in the environment we're in with respect to our people's expectation of us. But how do you how do you build trust, but also how do you establish that trustworthiness? And those are the stories that I think are so compelling, right? They're not product stories, but they're stories of, of people exactly. and expertise. Exactly. So I want to come back to this great discussion that we're having around values and, and people and empathy. I know your CEO had a column recently, I think, I believe it was on LinkedIn. He said that business leaders that lean into their values and invest in people and culture will keep current employees engaged, something that's very important today, attract new ones and position the enterprise for growth. So that's a, something that you've described already, but how has emphasizing that within an organization like KPMG change the way that your team works and, and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, this emphasis on people, values, and making sure that people uh, feel valued for their expertise and for their humanity. So how, how has that changed what you and your team do? 
Well, it's a great opportunity for our team. I think it hasn't necessarily changed what we do, but it has certainly shaped where we emphasize our communications and our outreach and our engagement a little bit differently. So where do we lean in, in terms of our people? Look, the talent is on everyone's mind. And, and I think that, that the ability to attract, retain, develop, and you know, the first thing that we did on, on Paul's first day as CEO was announced an, an initiative we call Accelerate 2025. And it is all about how do we, again, attract, retain, develop, and advance underrepresented groups within the firm. And we, for the first time ever in 2020, put out a transparency report about what are our targets, what are our goals, and then how are we going to achieve them? And we're going to report our progress against that every year. And so, you know, for us, it's really about words and actions and how do we, how do we show that, that progress with our people, but also to empower our people and help them understand that we mean it, right? We we said we're gonna we said we're going to focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we're gonna put a stake in the ground and we're gonna hold ourselves accountable and, yeah. and our team accountable. And that is good for business, it is good for our morale, it is good for our culture, and it is an expectation of, of our clients. And so as we think about that and how we embed that in our functions, it's not just Paul, it is going to be, you know, business led. So, you know, our businesses are going to be responsible for driving the change and our employees, we're going to keep listening to our people and, and, and hear sort of what's working and what's not. And so in terms of our emphasis, I think what has shaped our approach to talent and really focusing on our people and our talent as our top priority is really around what is that experience that we want to create and how does that experience then enable us to go to market and serve clients better and in a competitive way. And so look, there's an aspect of that investment that is going to be financial. So, you know, we're, we announced more than or nearly $160 million additional investment um, in our people with across the board uh, mm -hmm. increases. And we also, you know, that's on the heels of, of historic year-end, you know, raises and, and bonuses. And we announced a total revamp to our benefits package, which includes well-being, which includes mental health, which includes really meeting people where they are in terms of the benefits that they need. All of that matters to, to people in terms of a place that they want to work and feel connected to, to purpose. So I think it's been a real focus on experience, but experience, as you say, that enables the business, enables quality, enables excellence and, and empowers our, our people. Maureen, let me pull on that thread a little bit more. There have been a, a, a wide variety of stories <laughs> written about the great resignation, something like four and a half million U.S. workers resigned from their, their jobs back in like November, marking the highest resignation rate ever. And that said, there's lots of surveys that are pretty optimistic about economic growth in through 2022, including one by KPMG. As a consequence of what we're seeing and even what you've now talked about in terms of KPMG, and in fact, there's a recent Wall Street Journal headline, they put it that as employees scramble to fill jobs, workers relish a feeling of power. What's KPMG's response to all of this change? You've talked a little bit about what you've done internally, but what, how does that change your advice or are there lessons here for other companies in terms of the journey that KPMG has made along these lines? 
Yes, I believe that the feeling of, you know, employees feeling empowered, feeling that they are able to move and that the there are opportunities. I think that does create a complicated equation in terms of how do you how do you balance that and how do you create a culture where people want to come stay, grow and develop. But I also think it's going to push the business community toward real change. And I think that's a positive because I think the voice of our people, the pushing the envelope to for companies to explore new ways of working, to demand that we not just go back to the way things were in the past, to rethink whether it is really whose responsibility is it to, you know, to reduce your carbon footprint and how do individuals and how do companies sort of contribute to that? How do we leverage technology in a much more interesting, potentially an enabling way? So I think it will be a period of uncertainty as we figure out sort of what is that new way, but there is no question that the pandemic has changed everything. And this voice of employees that we're seeing and that they're they're using their feet to, to demonstrate, right, that they will yeah. leave if they aren't. And I, I think that's really powerful and ultimately positive because it will force the change and it will force you know, businesses to be nimble and flexible and mm-hmm. think about the environment and the culture and how do you create all of those things for your people. So it will be complicated, but, or it is complicated actually, but I think ultimately this dynamic is a positive one that will, that will drive change, will drive new uses of technology that will help us to kind of rethink how do we communicate, how do we connect and how do we do business for the long-term. So today, Maureen, I'm back in my office at BU, Boston University for the first time in a year because of COVID, my own, and then more broadly. And, and so I'm going to be teaching in a classroom face-to-face with students for the first time since, uh, you know, a little bit more than a year. And I can see that the students really crave the face-to-face interaction, not only with the professor, but with each other. And the socialization that you get from walking the hallway in the communication building, et cetera. And so you've talked about how you're moving toward a flex sort of approach and you're going to listen to people and, and, and see what they want. And I know KPMG did a report recently to that effect that, you know, businesses have to embrace more of a hybrid model between virtual and in-person and so I wonder if you could reflect on that report and what's its assertion, and then a little bit more about how you all might be at KPMG implementing that in your own work. And what are your people saying? What is, what's the voice of customer inside the organization yeah. about what they want to do? Yeah, so we were so we've been intentional not to, and we've really resisted the temptation to say by X date we'll be back in some way, yeah. shape, or form. And we've and we've actually been very transparent with our with our thirty six thousand people to say our decision is not to predict the future. So that it's, we're intentionally deciding <laughs> that for now that's this is great. where we are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that has been really important. You know, look, I'll just reflect on my own experience in that I have been into the office you know, many, many times over the past couple of years. And I found myself sitting on teams doing my work all day with people who were remote. And so I thought, what am I doing? Right. Because you have a a commute and everything else. However, I've also been fortunate enough to spend a lot of time at, at our facility Lake House. 
And at Lake House, it is, we call it our cultural home, which I always laugh at because I don't typically buy into those things. And then every time I go, I buy Lake House gear and I come home with more branded <laughs> gear. And my husband sort of said, you love Lake House. You're going to start vacationing at Lake House because- <laughs> And, and Maureen, that's, that's your learning center? Is that That's sort our of learning you... center? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. It, but it is so much more than that. And it is a place where you go and you are energized and you are connected. And so, yeah. so what I have found is exactly what you're describing, which is this, we all yearn for that human interaction. When you do it in a place where you're learning, you're developing, you're connecting, you're walking the halls and there's a real sense of pride and purpose, it feels great. And so what we now need to figure out is as we talk about flex with purpose and as we talk about connections, how does that come to life in our offices, in your experience when you are in the office and when you are in the office, how are you connecting with people and not, and I mean, you know, truth be told, even pre-pandemic, I spent a lot of time on the phone, right? And that's okay. But but how do we get really intentional about where we are and where we're working and how we're connecting with our people and create those teeming opportunities to grow? And so my experience has been just huge, you know, energy building with people in person and how great that feels and how do you how do we bring that forward and that's not going to be that's not going to be every day right so so what is that balance and what is that mix and what's the right way to do it and i think there's going to be a lot of as we think about our return to offices we're really thinking about it in terms of gathering with purpose and and being intentional about that purpose to maximize the the benefit of that human interaction Maureen, Maureen, there was another facet of that report that Gary cited about flex and hybrid work. And, and to me, it was very intriguing and, it, and it's in line with an earlier comment you were making about how you're very focused at KPMG on your DE&I goals. And, and that is that that report makes the case that an important ingredient in success of a shift to hybrid or flex work environments is, you know, one of those signs of success is what it can mean for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in fact, the report even states attention to DE&I in this timeframe can unlock competitive advantage. Can you tell me more about this and why hybrid and flex situations might work to the benefit of diverse employees? Yeah. So, I mean, as we looked at it and, and even I think the report even cited some of the numbers in terms of the impact of on some of some underrepresented groups, including women of the pandemic and, and exiting the workforce. And and that was, you know, because of the responsibilities and whether it was homeschooling or, as I said before, elder care. But but I think that that really being focused on that impact and looking at you know how do how are people connecting and how were the systems of connection maybe better or worse for certain groups in the past and so how do we use this moment in time to ensure we're creating the most kind of flexible environment where everyone can thrive and that is really important but you can say that but if you're not intentional about it and listening to our people and seeing what works and understanding why you know, some of our underrepresented groups, you know, cited in or some underrepresented groups that we cited have voiced that they feel more connected in this virtual environment than they did in the past. Well, okay, how do we take that forward and really get creative and think differently about what's possible as we transition to this kind of new 
reality of work and connection and culture. That is hugely important to us and something that we're building into our strategy through our, you know, both in our ESG strategy, but also how we think about DEI and the intense focus we have on DEI in our businesses specifically, so that it's everything from how do we create um, energy and, and manage kind of our energy to how do we run meetings to ensure that we are more inclusive and that we are actually doing hybrid right because it is still hard when you're in a room full of people to keep the person who's on Zoom engaged. And so how do we get really intentional and really tactical about doing it right and being inclusive as we think about this concept of flex with purpose, which will include, you know, in-person, remote, and then hybrid. So that's kind of how, where we're looking at it. And I, and I think the important thing and what I would advise any company is it's one thing to say it, but then you've got to get pretty detailed about how do you make it work, you know, truly make it work as, as you go forward. So Maureen, I want to go to a topic that's a little broader, but certainly is part of the discussion that we're having about the role of business and society. And this idea of stakeholder capitalism is certainly an in vogue phrase. Larry Fink at BlackRock, the world's largest investor, largest holder of assets, just published his latest letter on the subject. And he continues to emphasize the importance of ESG, as you've mentioned, at KPMG and stakeholder relations, and of course, particularly employees. So, what kind of stakeholders? matter most at KPMG? And how do you balance what you're doing in ESG with performance? Stakeholder capitalism is not universally admired, right? right? It is. And and if you read some things today, you think it might, but I, I see even Unilever, which really was the first company to really build a business strategy around ESG, being under attack from activist investors. I saw a quote from one investor that says that mayonnaise doesn't need a purpose, right? (laughs) That, you know, Hellman's mayonnaise, which Unilever makes, doesn't need a purpose. So how do you think about ESG more broadly at KPMG and balance that against performance? Yeah. So I would argue mayonnaise does need a purpose, but anyway, no. Uh, (laughs) I hate mayonnaise, by the way. I do too. So look, I think that it is, it's been fascinating since, since Larry Fink put out his letter, you almost get, and as you do every year, you almost get confused. One article hates it. One art, you know, one person Mm -hmm. loves it. One person hates it. One person, it's not enough. It doesn't go far enough. You so, but I think the important thing and, and really what we're doing in, in embedding ESG into our strategy, both in terms of what we're doing, our impact as a firm, but also the way we are going, you know, going to market and advising our clients is tied to that purpose. And look, for us, we are people, we are all people. That is what we are. That is what we are selling. That is what we are delivering. And mm-hmm. so really focusing on where should we, you know, where do we build, as I said, trust and establish that trustworthiness in terms of the S and where do we weigh in, you know, with on societal kind of issues, what do our 
people expect of us as we think about stakeholders, as I said, you know, our people are, are an incredibly important stakeholder for us um, in order to be able to enable our business and do the great work that we do. So I think in, you know, in embedding kind of ESG and our ESG strategy, both in our, the services we provide and the insights we deliver to the market, but also in walking the walk, you know, as a firm and making our commitments and, and really aligning around um, not only, you know, what are we doing in the U.S., but as we think about sort of our, our global network of firms. So, you know, for us, it's a real focus on, on ES and G, but what we've done and the actions we've taken, clearly we've been talking a lot about the S in terms of our people, society, uh, purpose, and all of the work that we're doing, you know, internally. Let me ask you a question, a follow-up question, something you said earlier. I, I love the transparency on DE&I. Mm-hmm. you know, that you're reporting where you are on the journey. And, and for every company, it's a journey at this point to, to get to a point where you want to be. When I talk to some other CCOs or business leaders, they're a little reluctant to be transparent about where they are and where they are against stated goals in some cases because they haven't hit them, right? And whether it's an investment or, or hires, was there any pushback you know, on being so out front on where you guys are? There was a lot of discussion I yeah. Would say, yeah. about it. And we hadn't done a transparency report or set really aggressive targets. And we committed to updating, publicly updating all stakeholders on, on our progress. But I think at the end of the day, if you just get really practical about this, you know, we're hearing from our clients every day you know, we want more diversity in our teams, in your team, right? We want to see more perspectives. We want, so we know that the demand from our clients is there. We're having the conversation. And so we need to then be accountable for that change. And so while it's always a decision that can feel uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? To be more transparent. I think when you are trans, well, I know when you're transparent and you measure it, your progress, it, it also increases accountability. And so it's, it's really, it's really important. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I've even seen other companies go through an exercise where they've questioned the goal that they've set because (laughs) they're not going to achieve that goal. And my counsel has always been, once you've set the goal, don't, don't move the goalposts in, don't change the game provide the rationale for maybe why you didn't hit it this year, you know, and, and, and keep to your principles. Well, and I, I think there's another really important question of why exactly why you didn't hit it. So what is it that actually, because because if your purpose, why are you doing this in the first place? If your purpose is to drive real change and truly have not only the numbers on a page, but actually reshaping of, you know, your workforce, then get to the bottom of sort of, you know, keep, keep in mind why you did it in the first place and then get to the bottom of why didn't it work and what do we need to change in the systems to actually make mm-hmm. more progress. To so get there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, another item in the news that we'd love to talk to you about a bit is the Edelman Trust Barometer just came out, the annual report. One of the headlines is that trust declined across all institutions, maybe no surprise there. But over the last two years, a phenomena has, has, has taken place where government and media have dipped further than others, such that we're at a stage now 
where trust in business as well as NGOs is higher than trust in government and media. What do you think that means for companies like KPMG? And how do you and your team attempt to build trust in the KPMG brand? I think it means a lot of things. I think it means an incredible responsibility that the business community has that that probably people didn't have in the in the past such a high expectation and and particularly employees of their CEOs or of their leaders or of their business to speak out on issues or to have a perspective and a point of view. And so I think that's a positive for us, you know, we really, you know, and my recommendation to to other leaders would be focus on your purpose as your North Star and your values as kind of where are the moments to build trust and where you should have a voice, right? I think there was a line in Larry Fink's letter that talked about people don't want to hear CEOs opining on every topic, <laughs> but but choose the ones that matter to your business and choose yeah. the ones that matter to your Absolutely. people and your values. And so that's the, that's the yeah. we've been taking that approach before the letter, but I really, that, that line in the letter really resonated with me. Yeah. So, so how does it, how do you go about at KPMG kind of sorting and sifting how it engages in some of these societal issues, which ones you're going to discuss, have a stance on, and those maybe that you're not? How do you sort and sift? <laughs> so it's going to sound boring, but we developed a framework. We developed a an issues management framework that looked at the issue, the impact, the connection to our values, the connection to our business. And we mat- we you know chart it um, based on our framework to then help us inform as a comms team, that informs our recommendation. Doesn't mean that's exactly what we do always, but mm-hmm. that informs through an objective process of uh, assessment and evaluation whether we recommend, you know, having a voice or. or what are some of the considerations in that framework? So we look at the, again, the issue itself, the impact on our people, the impact on our communities, on our business, the connection to our values and to our communities inclusive inclusive of our clients. And so, you know, then we look at, is it a broad issue? Is it an issue gaining sort of traction? Is it an issue that others are, you know, speaking out for or against on? And everything, again, through the lens of, from a values-based perspective, what is the, where do we lead? That's really terrific. And and a lot of companies are getting paralyzed around these issues right now. And so having a framework like that is so essential that is really specific to who you are and the people you serve is so smart. So well done. So I I teach at, as I said earlier, at Boston University, the greatest communication school in the world. And no biases here. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, and a lot of students, Maureen, listen to this podcast uh, here at BU and elsewhere. And, you know, I'm struck by just talking to you over the past half hour, clarity of thought, how informed you are about what's going on in the world. And certainly you've had a a great career. So what would you say to the students listening on how they should prepare themselves to go out into the world? What best prepared you to be a chief communications officer? That's a big question. Uh, yeah. So, I, look, my my advice to the students listening to, for whatever it's worth, is to be curious, to work hard, and to go for it. So, so <laughs> great. I, I think that is. 
and and also because this matters a lot to me is is that combination of hard work and kindness in your interactions with people. So I think curiosity is underestimated, but when you're curious, you tend to dig in. And so I would just advise everyone and and don't ever doubt what you're capable of. There were many times in my career where either I was promoted while out on, on maternity leave or thinking, you know, how can you possibly manage? And if you overthink anything, it's actually similar to, you know, would we ever have imagined that the entire world could go remote and virtual and that that would work from a global economy? Of course, we couldn't imagine that. So don't try to take it day by day and work really hard and pursue, you know, what matters to you. Maureen, thank you for joining us on The Crux and sharing your thoughts and insights about some very important issues about KPMG and your own career. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure to be here. So I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to The Crux and make sure to listen for our next episode. Follow us at The Crux on Facebook and on Twitter. And you can find our episodes on SoundCloud and on our website, thecruxpodcast.org.